We are in the book of Habakkuk. And I want to recap, in case you weren't with us next week, I just want to recap in two sentences what happened last week. First of all, um, Habakkuk complains to God. Uh, he, the spiritual word for that is laments, <laughs> pours out his heart about all of the real injustice around him. And, uh, and then God says, I hear you, I'm going to respond to you, and I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the evil, wicked Babylonians to bring justice to your people. And Habakkuk, we're going to get into now uh, what Habakkuk's response to that was, which is essentially, just paraphrasing the scripture, he's like, um, I said, excuse me? That you're going to do, I'm, said, I'm sorry, what? Thank you for answering me, Lord, but also, excuse me, what? Is kind of what scripture is going to say now. So let's turn to the book, to the book of Habakkuk this morning. It's a, uh, a small book of prophecy. You'll find somewhere in the middle. It is loaded for you, of course, already in the YouVersion app um, under more and then events. And you can grab it there. These are already loaded for you. So again, if, you just, if, you're, if you're just looking at, your, at the scripture here, um, you'll see Habakkuk's complaint and the Lord's answer, which we dealt with last week. And now, um, after God tells Habakkuk what he is planning to do, this is how Habakkuk responds. Uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 12. He says this. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He's talking about the Babylonians, which is what he was just told was going to happen. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made the people like the fish in the sea. Like the sea creatures that have no ruler, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, and he burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net without destroying the nations without mercy? So this is, there's this metaphor that uh, Habakkuk is setting up, basically saying, like, we are like fish in the sea, and, and they, the, the Babylonians are, are, are going to be able to, like, scoop us up like fish in the sea. And then the, and then the Babylonians are so, they're so godless that they're going to worship their very fishing equipment. Because, and this is who you're going to send to bring justice to our nation. He says, listen, he starts off by reminding God, God, you're holy, you're just. So then why would you let this be the answer? How does this punishment line up with your character? And even in our disobedience, God, and I'm admitting that we're being disobedient as a people, how does this work? Because even in our disobedience, we're still more righteous than them, but you're using them to swallow us up and to make things right in Judah, and you're not just allowing it to happen, God. You are preparing for it. And it feels like the medicine is worse than the disease. And so here we have what's going on is that Habakkuk calls, God answers, and Habakkuk just did not like the answer. He did not like the answer. And listen, in Habakkuk's defense, I mean, maybe you're very righteous in this place and you're like, yeah, well, you just, that's what God said, so you just accept it. And I appreciate that. But I will say that Habakkuk made some very valid arguments here against God's plan. He says, first of all, listen, 
by, by using the Babylonians in your judgment here, God, you are condoning their wickedness. They're going to think that the way they live and what they're doing is okay. And, and that seems like a really, really bad idea, God, because, because they already, as it, we read in, in chapter 1 uh, last week, they already worship their own strength. Why are you adding fuel to that fire? He also says, listen, God, by using the Babylonians, you aren't really showing true justice. Since I already said, you know, Judah is, it, we, we are more righteous than them. And, okay, I know I was just complaining about how bad things were in, in Judah. I know I was just saying that the law has been paralyzed and that injustice reigns in every way. But still, we're not as bad as the Babylonians. And, and maybe, maybe just do anything else to bring judgment to Judah, to make things right in Judah. Like, like you, he doesn't say this, but I, I, I think maybe if it was me, I would be saying, like, you, you've sent plagues before. Maybe a plague. Maybe just not the Babylonians. Like anything but that is what he's saying. And by using the Babylonians, God, don't you understand that you're going to be encouraging them in their worship of idols? That you're encouraging them to worship false gods? Like I already said this, but like he's saying, they're, they're going to gather us Israelites up like a net drags the ocean for fish. And then when they catch the fish, they, when they catch us, they're going to worship their fishing equipment. It's ridiculous. God, this is a ridiculous plan. And he also says, you know, God, if you allow this, if you do this, the Babylonians will never be stopped. They're going to keep on destroying without mercy. And that does not line up with your character. Like Habakkuk makes some valid arguments, yes? Maybe you thought these things too. Maybe in your life you've actually thought these things about some of the things going on around you. And I'm not sure if you've ever done this Maybe you haven't because you're much more spiritual than me. But have you ever explained a few things to God? I just need to explain. I understand you're busy. And so I want to just tell you, I, I've talked about this before. Sometimes I will help God help me help him help me with something. Like I have it really well figured out. Like no offense, God, but have you ever considered the problem from this angle? There is something you may have missed in this scenario. And I want to just help you understand what you perhaps did not see. It's okay. It's no problem. I just think you might want to consider it from this point of view because you probably haven't already. Remember verse 5? Uh, back in chapter 1, God had told Habakkuk, look at the nation, nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Look and watch and be amazed. You are not going to believe what I have planned. And I can only assume that when Habakkuk heard that first utterance, that first response from God, that he was like ready to sound victory cry in Judah. He was like, yes, God is going to do something amazing here, and I get a front row seat to it. Look and watch what God is going to do. But then God describes what he's supposed to be looking and watching for, how his hand will be moving, what his plan is. And, and it's like, but this, not this, like anything but this. You just try to imagine how Habakkuk was feeling. Put yourself in his shoes. Maybe you felt that way about something in your life. Just don't understand why God would allow it, why God would use this, why God would see this, why maybe he doesn't see you at all. And so I want you to take a look and see what Habakkuk does. 
If you're reading in the NIV, you'll be able to see along with me exactly what Scripture says uh, after this. What was the, the name of the section of Scripture that I just read to you? It's called Habakkuk's second complaint. <laughs> His second complaint. The first was Habakkuk's complaint, the Lord's answer. Habakkuk's second complaint. So this is what he does. He goes back to God with his lament. He continues to cry out to God from a place of fear and despair and injustice and and confusion, and he chooses to take that back to God again. And I read this to you last week, but let me read uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to you again. This This is how he finishes his second complaint. He says, I will stand at my watch I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I'm going to climb up to the top of this wall and I'm going to watch for an answer. Don't worry, it's safe. I checked it out. I don't know why I wore a skirt today. It's a terrible idea. um, Show that picture for me, Greta. This is what a rampart is. I mean, this is obviously not a rampart. That is a rampart. This is the picture that Habakkuk is now saying, I am going to climb up and I'm going to stand on top of this wall. And from this position, I'm going to wait and see what God will do. What's the point of building a rampart around a city? What's the point? Protection, sure. It's so that you can see what's going on outside of the city. It's so the soldiers could stand and keep watch. It's so that they could watch and see the enemy coming from a distance. They could see a messenger coming from a distance. They could see something going on from a distance. And they could see far beyond what they could ever see at the bottom. And this is what Habakkuk says. He says, I'm going to climb up and stand on the rampart and see what answer God will give me. Even in his fear, even in his misunderstanding, even in his confusion, even in his call for justice. Maybe he was feeling defiant when he said it. Maybe he was full of faith because he just knew that God was going to answer. Knowing that God doesn't change, knowing that God was not going to break his covenant with Israel, that he said he loved them, he would be with them. Maybe that was where he was coming from. Maybe he knew that God was holy and will not allow sin to go unpunished in Israel, but also anywhere else. So even if he was using the Babylonians, maybe there was a long-term plan for them. I don't know what he was thinking because God hadn't responded yet, but he says, I'm going to climb up on my rampart and I am going to watch for what the Lord will say. I don't know exactly why he said it or what he was feeling, but one thing seems to be true, that Habakkuk chose to go back to God again because he was confident that God was going to answer, that God would fulfill his promise, that God would be faithful somehow, even if he really, really couldn't see it. And honestly, very clearly and and, uh, authentically, Habakkuk took issue with God's method. He questioned God. But I don't think that that is even possible to do unless he would have been full of faith. You see, I, I, I think it's not the faithless that bring their questions to God. It's the faithful. I never worry about someone who tells me they're wrestling with God about something. I've been wrestling in prayer, Pastor. 
I, I've been asking God to help me. I've been asking him to, to speak. I've been telling him, pouring out my heart. I don't worry about that person. I, I pray with them and come alongside and encourage and all of those things. But I'm not worried about their faith because the very fact that they're wrestling with God tells me that they are full of faith. Because they still believe that God is going to respond and they are going to have an answer. That God is going to meet them. I worry about the one who has given up, the one who's afraid to ask the question, the one who doesn't trust God with the deepest parts of their heart because they're afraid they're going to be disappointed or that he's not going to meet them or he's not going to fulfill his promise. That's the person that I'm much more concerned with. And it seems to me that Habakkuk wasn't concerned about God being big enough or strong enough to handle his second pushback. He just went straight on back to God. Habakkuk called again, and God answered again. And listen, in God's answer, he doesn't mumble. He speaks clearly and directly. And here's how it starts. He says, write this down. I don't know if he said it like that, but in my mind he did. Write this down, just like that. Write this down, Habakkuk. Here is your answer. This will happen, this thing I'm about to describe to you, this will happen when the time is right and you can count on it. To you, it might seem to linger, it might seem to delay, it might seem to be you're waiting forever, but wait because it is going to come. You can be sure of it. This is what God says. In other words, he says to him, rein in your impatience. I will act in my own way and in my own time, but I will act. You can be sure of that. Let's read it together, Habakkuk chapter 2. There's Habakkuk on his rampart, metaphorically speaking. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe he climbed the wall of the city. I don't know. I wasn't there. But metaphorically speaking, on his rampart. And here is what the Lord's answer is, chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord said, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So now we're going to be talking about him and them. We're talking about the enemy. God is talking now specifically about what's going to happen to the Babylonians, so you can follow like that. Indeed, wine betrays him. This is the Babylonians. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver and there is no breath in it. The Lord is holy. It is in his holy temple that all the earth be silent before him. So let me explain what's happening here in case you got lost in all of the woes. Literally, we have a transition point in verse 6 where God says, will not all of them taunt him with a ridicule and score and saying, and now we're talking to Babylon, and there are five woes that are declared against Babylon. Basically, now God is saying, here are all of the things that are going to happen to Babylon, Habakkuk. You don't have to worry about justice being taken care of here. I already have a plan for them as well. And then in verse 20, we go back to Habakkuk in first person uh, saying, the Lord is in his holy temple. So you'll see the quotation marks uh, fit that. So let me just explain what happened in these five woes and then let's apply it to help us understand it a little bit. So God declares a, a woe uh, on, on the, the person, the, on the pillager. So these are who he's describing the Babylonians as, a pillager, someone who acquires goods dishonestly or, uh, or through extortion. Uh, they will become, instead of pillagers, they will become debtors is what it's saying. There's a woe declared on the plotter, someone who seeks to gain um, in something in an unjust way. And it, he says there will be shame on the kingdom that they are committing the injustices for. There's a woe on the, the one who promotes violence. Um, the foundations of their society were founded um, on, the, on bloodshed and wickedness. And God says that all of that effort will go up in, in literal smoke. Uh, he calls a woe on the debaucher, someone who leads others into debauchery by getting them intoxicated. He says they are the ones who will be filled with shame, that they sought to glorify themselves by demeaning others, but they will, be, uh, they will drink, become intoxicated, and reveal their own shamefulness. And he calls a woe on the idolater. He, uh, he says that the person who seeks well-being through idols, the, they, will, they are the ones who are going to be taught lies. They will be disappointed. They will be led away from God. It will all be empty. Those five woes are declared against Babylon here. So he, in other words, to break that down, God says to Habakkuk, don't worry about the Babylonians. Mind your business, kind of. I got this. I will take care of it. I will deal out justice when the time is right. I know you don't understand the, the method I'm using, Habakkuk. I get that. But you can trust me. I've got this. And what was Habakkuk's response? What was his reaction to God's answer? Verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It's quite a stark response after all of the woes. You maybe have noticed when you were reading through that. It almost seems like that verse is sort of misplaced or is added in after the fact. But no, this is not an add-on in scripture. It's like... Probably what happened, and I would say this from knowing it from personal experience, and I feel like this is exactly what's happened, that after he heard from the Lord, it's like the voice of the Lord changes you. It changes your perspective. 
changes your heart. It shifts your focus. It aligns your thinking. And even if you, 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 you don't understand, still don't understand what God is doing, even if it still hurts, even then you might still find yourself like Habakkuk um, in that place of your perspective shifting. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you start to agree with what Paul wrote in Romans 11 when he said, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When you hear from the Lord, when you call to him and hear his response, when you pour out your heart and wait to hear and see what he is doing, when you change your perspective, your heart changes. So I wonder this morning, as we're thinking about Habakkuk's experience in this call and answer, I wonder for any of us, do any of us need a shift in perspective I truly do hope that you, you heard from the word last week as we were talking about pouring out our hearts to God, that you are encouraged in scripture to come and pour out your heart to God, that he wants to hear from you. I heard from many of you last week who were encouraged by that thought. Sometimes you feel bad about you know, pouring out your heart, or, or you're not sure that you should, or you're not sure if that's very Christian or very spiritual of you to do that. Uh, but you, I hope you heard from the word that you are encouraged to come and pour out your heart to God first. He wants to hear from you. There's not a punishment. There's not a rebuke from God. When someone comes and laments and someone comes and asks why, when somebody tells God what's going on in their life and, and, and how they feel about it. And that, friends, is where we begin in this call and answer. And this, what we're reading today, I believe, is what we do next. Because when you don't understand what God is doing or what he's not doing, what his plan is, or why he would allow something to happen as it has. It is time to climb the wall of your city and station yourself on the rampart. That's what's next. You get up there with your lament. Maybe you pace around a little bit. I probably won't do that for safety this morning. <laughs> you scan the landscape as far as you can see, and you literally look and watch for what God might be doing. Sometimes, you have to drag yourself up there. Sometimes, you have to just take it one step at a time. I get that. You understand the metaphor, yeah? Sometimes you can't even get up here by yourself. You need a couple of friends to drag you up by your armpits. You ever had that experience? Yeah, you have. Okay, yeah. But if you want to see what God is doing, you need a change in your perspective. You can't stand behind the walls of your city. You need to get up and you need to be able to look out and see what God might be doing, what he might be saying. That's what Habakkuk did. You need to get up and look around. So first we lament, and then second, just Maybe even more simply, we just wait expectantly to hear from God. Expect that he's going to be answering you. And it will look like, I don't even know, it could look like anything. I want to give you a couple of examples of some of the things you might look for if you are waiting to hear from God. 
So often, friends, and this is why we yell about being in the word all the time. We do, we do studies together. We're just, we just want to be in the word. We just say, don't be afraid to be in your Bible. Get in that reading plan, whatever. Every day, every day, every day. The scriptures are a huge part of how God will answer you. A huge part of it. I can't tell you how many, I, honestly, there's so many times I couldn't think of a good example of times when there's something going on in my life. There's something I'm coming up against. And then my reading plan that day just happens. There's a scripture that just jumps off the page to me. And all of a sudden, I can see something from a different perspective. Maybe I've read that scripture 8,000 times before. And that day, I read that same passage, and I saw it in a completely new way. I was expecting to hear from the Lord. I was looking for what he might say to me. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh. Wait for it. It will certainly come. Whatever. That's just, I'm just, that's what I'm like staring at right now. When you are in the word, God will use his word to speak to you so often, friends. So that's why we encourage you to always be in the word. You just never know how he might use that. Sometimes God shows up in, as a person in the right time, in the right place, the provision that you needed for that moment. Have you ever had that happen to you? Sometimes God shows up in a conversation with, with anybody, a stranger even, who is also hurting or also has questions. And suddenly you find common ground or able to encourage one another. You never know when that conversation might happen. Sometimes you're in the middle of a really big situation. And that big situation doesn't seem to be getting resolved. But then you start to notice, because you're waiting expectantly and you're looking for the hand and the answer and the work of the Lord around you, you start to see this blessing. You start to see that blessing. You start to see that provision. You start to see this fell into place. And that didn't actually have to go that way. This could have been a lot worse. Have you ever said that before? This could have been a lot worse. This is a difficult situation, but man, I can see the hand of God protecting. This could have been a lot worse. A while ago, I, I was uh, frustrated by something, and I, I just didn't, I just, uh, it was just, it just kept coming up, it just kept coming up, it just kept coming up. So I decided to just pull a Habakkuk, that's going to be a verb now, and I said, I just said to him, I just said to God, I just can't, I just don't even know my way through this situation. I don't even know my way through it. So you are going to have to do one of three things. I know, this is a very ramparty moment. This is very, I know it was a bit, maybe even a little bit rude, but I, God understood my heart. I said, God, I need you to change my heart, to change my mind, or to change my circumstance. One of the three. You get to pick one of these three things has to happen. I know I'm so sassy with the Lord, but he loves me and he built me like that and he gives me grace. He gives me more grace each day. And I said, Lord, please, please just change my heart so that I feel differently about it or change my mind so I can think differently about it or change my circumstance and remove this frustration from my life. I don't know what you're going to do, but I expect that you're going to do something. And I just kept praying that over and over and over again. And then I looked back on it. I was just thinking about it. I was preparing this. Guess what happened? He did all three. And he did it slowly and subtly. But I just realized just the other day, I think differently about it. I feel differently about it. And some of the, the actual circumstances have changed. And he did it bit by bit by bit as I waited expectantly. I shared a little bit about this last week, but I've also had a conversation recently with someone who was waiting to hear from God. Why won't God 
meet me? Why won't he speak? Why can't he see my tears? I don't understand what, why he's so far away. I really want to believe, but I don't see him. And I said, That's, this is maybe not the whole answer, but here's maybe a part of the answer, and that is, I had something in my spirit that said, I need to ask you if you're okay. And so I did, even though I don't want to be weird about it. Uh, you know, we hate like, being awkward with people. I was like, I just need to ask you, are you okay? Like, for real, how are you? And if that is in my heart to do, who put that thought into my life? So the Lord is answering you, but he might be speaking to you through the person who's just coming alongside with that prayer. He's reminding you that you're not alone. The choice to get up on the rampart and look for where God is at work changes things. Get up on that rampart, friends, and look for what God is doing. I fully believe that his hand is at work. And so, many of the t- so much of the time, we just need to change our... Pers- Let me tell you, you look different from up here. I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of like it. I wish my notes were with me so that I could just stay up here and hang out. Everything looks different when you change your perspective, of course. And church, I want to just I wanna say this as, as just like the closing thought here. Because not all of us are going through a crisis where we are needing to lament and pour out our heart to God. I, I assume that in all of our lives, this will be a necessary skill to build. I really do, because you know what life is like. You never know what season is coming. But this one is for all of us, no matter what you are going through this morning. Even if you're not personally struggling. There's a story in, in 1 Kings, chapter 18. And uh, Elijah, the prophet Elijah had just faced off against 400 prophets of Baal. And God had really showed up and the people realized that he is the true God. It's an awesome story. And now the crowd is dispersing. After this miraculous display and they've all decided they're going to worship God. And here's what it says in verse 41 to 46. Elijah said to Ahab, that was the king, go and eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and he bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Just picture that posture. He's just exhausted. He's just, God, what's what's next here? Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way into Jezreel, which is not part of our story today, but is cool, so I wanted to finish it with that. (laughs) I want you to just picture that. Elijah... After all that had just happened, Elijah did not have the strength to do more than just kneel and ask his servant, just go look again. Just go look again. I think God is going to answer us here. I feel like he's saying the rain is coming. There had been a drought. But I, I can't, I don't even, I, can you just go look again? Keep report back. He didn't have the strength to keep watch for himself, but the thing was he wasn't alone. 
And I want you to hear this from me today, friends. When I talk about needing to be dragged up on your rampart by your armpits by some friends sometimes, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Does someone around you, maybe it's not you, but does someone around you need help up the steps to the rampart? Does someone need an arm around their waist? Does someone need, does someone, need someone else to lean on while they wait patiently for the Lord to answer? Does someone need someone else to go and to, to, to report what God is doing because they're just so weary to stay, they can't really stay upright and see it for themselves like Elijah. I want to tell you, church, that you are the body of Christ. And as you develop your, yourself and in your individual discipleship, that habit of lamenting and then looking and watching uh, uh, and expecting the Lord to, to speak and, and getting up on your own rampart and having that habit of taking everything to God first and then listening for his answer and repeating in every situation in your life. As you develop that habit, I want you to look around for the ones around you who need strengthening, who need encouraging, who aren't able to climb those steps for themselves, but you can go with them. And so, as we think about the need to get up on the rampart, I want to call you, uh, I want to pray with you this morning just for a couple of things. The first one is this. For some of you who are really calling out to God for something, you haven't heard an answer in a while, I do want to encourage you to pray that God would change your perspective. I know this is just a metaphor. But in what way do you need to climb up and see what God would say? Maybe you're discouraged. It's, maybe it's been a, a prayer you've been praying for a long time. But I want to encourage you to ask God to change your perspective, to um, change your discouragement to expectant waiting. That God will answer you, that he will reveal in scripture to you, that he will bring encouragement into your life, that he will bless you and he will, he will find you. And, and if you're looking and seeing, he will be near to you. Some of us just need to ask God to change our perspective. But also some of us, um, and perhaps all of us, even, even if we are in the midst of our own struggle, we need to ask God to show us someone else who needs to be encouraged, who isn't able to climb the steps by themselves right now. That they still need a change of perspective. They still need to believe in faith that God is, is going to be speaking to them. And you are the person in the body of Christ who's going to come alongside. That's for you and that's for others. So I want to pray with you specifically this morning that God would change our perspective as needed and that we would also ask God to show us someone who needs to be encouraged so that they could also have the habit and have the strength to listen and watch like Habakkuk did. Exactly right. That is exactly what I was saying. Thank you. Okay. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. And we're, we're not going to sing through this, though you know that's one of my favorite things to do. But I do just want to invite, I, I don't know how much silence you have in your life, probably not enough. Just in, in the quietness, a baby, baby's making noise is um, part of silence, by the way. 
as you know, that's not, that doesn't matter. Um, I just want to invite you in, in the quietness of, of this moment. We've come, we've come up away, church. We've come for an hour and a bit to be separate, to listen, to worship together, to pray together, to celebrate men <laughs> this morning, and, and to hear from the word. And we invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak what he wants to speak to us. We want him to say, um, both give us the perspective we need to get up on our rampart and look. And also, God, would you use us? So let's just silently uh, just ask the Lord those two things, either to change our perspective, to help us to get up on our rampart and look, or perhaps for you where you're at today, God, I don't want to be this to be just about me. I know I'm a part of the body of Christ. Would you give me eyes to see someone else who might need to be encouraged in this same thing this morning? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak that into our lives today. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to your church. Speak to your church, Lord. Lord, we confess that in, in some ways we have been faithless. We haven't trusted you with what's on our hearts. We've run around to lots of other people and sources and some of us have looked to substances and other addictions to try to make things quieter, make things better instead of running to you, the one who actually has the power to, to deal with and, and intervene in every situation. We confess that we have tried to control or do things our own way and we release that and ask for forgiveness. Forgive us for being faithless and fill us with faith. In this moment, would you fill our hearts with the ability to, to believe? You would help our unbelief. To believe that you really will answer us. We metaphorically, like Habakkuk, get up on our rampart. We get a, 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 up above the wall of the city of our life and, and all of the things that would would, would um, stand in the way of us being able to see what you are up to, God. And we choose to get up on that rampart and we ask that you would show us what you're doing. Answer the cry and lament of our heart. Show us the scriptures in a new way. Fill our hearts with expectancy that the spirit of God will speak into every situation. Change our perspective, God. Help us to see beyond the hurt and the pain that is pulling us down. We want to keep us on ground level. And we say, no, we understand that in life there will be trouble, but we serve the God who has overcome the world. And we, we want to lift our eyes and lift our heads and look and see what you're doing. God, encourage our hearts. Give us new insight into the situations in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, and do this work. It's a work of the heart. It's a work of the mind. These are not things that we can convince ourselves of. We invite you to do a deep work in us.
And Lord Jesus, we also invite you to come and work in us as the body of Christ, each one. Regardless of our personal present situation, regardless of what we are standing up on the rampart looking for, we also look and watch for others who are struggling. We look now, God, for the one who needs to be encouraged, who needs help remembering that they are invited to pour out their hearts to God, that they, they need help remembering that they can climb up and see what you are doing, that you are moving, that you do hear, that you would even use us to, to bring a message of hope like that to the world around us, to our family members, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, that you would help us to see the one around us. Even now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring names and faces into our, our hearts and minds. That we wouldn't sidestep that or think that that was just us. But yeah, we just invite you, Lord, show us who might need in the body or in, in, our, in our lives and somewhere, who might need to be encouraged. Who might need to, somebody to lean on, somebody to help lift eyes and lift heads towards heaven. Let us be that body of Christ, encouraging and loving one another. We invite you to do this work in us, transforming us by the power of your spirit, transforming us, Lord Jesus. And I invite you, Lord, now, just, to, just in another moment of silence, to just speak into your church whatever you want to say those who are watching from home, those who are listening to this in, at some future time, we just, we, we, we calm and quiet ourselves and ask you to speak what you want to say. Lord Jesus, we need your presence more than anything. We need your presence more than anything. Jesus, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. And the invitation to have the Holy Spirit come and work in our lives is available to us, we know, because of you. Because you paid the price and you sent the Spirit. And now we are able to have this conversation with the living God and it is really, really amazing. So we thank you that in the middle of a noisy world, that you speak in a still small voice and you work in us individually but also as your church and we invite you Lord to do whatever and you want to do and, and keep us in step with you however you want to do that make us willing and available and I pray over this church family that we would be brave enough to pour out our complaint to you and faithful enough to be able to stand and watch and listen to what you might want to say to each of us and to us as your church. Give us hearts that are turned towards you in every way. And we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word and we thank you for how you are working. And we pray for all of these things in Jesus' name and the church said.
Amen. Amen.